Hi, I'm Tej Singh, and welcome to Office Hours with Dorm Room Fund, where we interview some of the most successful people in startups, technology, and corporate America. Dorm Room Fund is a student-run venture capital firm backed by First Run Capital. We write seed checks of $20,000 into startups founded by fellow students. Since our founding in 2014, we've funded over 275 startups, which are now collectively worth over a billion dollars and have gone on to raise over $500 million in follow-on funding from Sequoia, Andreessen Horowitz, Excel, and others. To pitch us, go to dormroomfund.com. Enjoy this episode. Hi, I'm Tej Singh and I'm joined by Abhinav Karali and today we're interviewing Emmett Shine, the co-founder of Jin Lane and now the co-founder of Pattern Brands. Thanks so much for taking the time to chat with us here today. Thanks for having me, guys. So where'd you grow up? What was your childhood like? Uh, I grew up on eastern Long Island in a town called Southampton. Um, my mom was an artist or is an artist. My dad who used to be a, a fisherman guy and then he was a landscaper. Um, and I liked skateboarding, you know, riding bikes, playing all sports, making art, um, you know, joking, reading, I don't know, just being a kid, kind of normal style. That's awesome. And did your mom, was your mom the one that kind of pushed you to do art or that, did that come from within? Um, I think definitely like her, her mom and her grandmother all were very talented painters or illustrators. And so... I think it's a little bit of like nature nurture definitely there's something that like is hereditary that it's like a, a funny bone it's like a creative bone but definitely growing up in a house where you know your mom's painting and stuff all the time um you know it, w- it was always encouraged I, you know hey take this paintbrush and help me on this you know book i'm working or this awesome. painting um and and that's a literal i think uh, extension but i think more metaphorically it was just you know think creatively um, and do kind of stuff that makes you happy, not necessarily what, you know, you're forced to do or supposed to do. What's your earliest memory? Um, of a hurricane on Long Island. That's probably my earliest memory. Um, I think it was Hurricane Gloria in like the mid eighties. Um, I don't remember that much, but it was a different part of Long Island, um, the South shores. But, uh, yeah, I don't know why, but that's the answer to your question. (laughs) What were we like as a kid? Did you get into trouble? What's the worst thing you did? I mean, I like Dennis the Menace style. Like I was always in like PG-13 kind of, you know, Mr. Wilson yelling um, kind of trouble <laughs> like in school at home. I was always, always, always in like PG-13 trouble not like, you know, robbing banks and stealing cop cars and whatever. Um, but I, you know, definitely was always kind of having people yell at me. And, and what about your friends? Who were your best friends? What were they like? Um, yeah, I mean, I, I, I've had the same group of friends since basically I moved to Southampton, um, in kindergarten and more or less from elementary school. It's the same group of friends. Like we had a little skate park we went to called Lola Prentice Memorial Park. And we just became known in town as like the Lola boys. Um, and you know, we were always getting kicked out of the village for skateboarding or lighting firecrackers or, you know, stealing lighters or just, again, just like Dennis the Menace type stuff. And I literally see and talk to every single one of those uh, people, you know, 30 years later to this day. Wow. But, and so what did you think your life like? Would what, what did you think your life would be like when you were older? I, well, after I graduated high school, I, I didn't go to college. I just stayed home and lived with my mom, my sister and um, landscaped. I, I didn't plan on going to college. I didn't think I would go to college. I didn't consider going to college. I didn't apply to go to college. 
I just thought it was a waste of money and stupid and, um, you know, and then I stayed back home, but <laughs> I don't know, I think living, you know, my sister who's four years younger um, entered into high school. So then she's in high school and her high school friends are coming home and I'm coming home with like construction boots on. And I was just like, man, it's a very small house. I was like, I probably should try to get out of here. And I never really left Long Island and I, I was, in my town, I have like a Native American reservation, the Shinnecock Indians, and had been talking to a dude from there who just kind of, I don't know, would give me life advice a little bit. And he was like, you know, you saved up a little bit of money, you know, why don't you, you know, go somewhere? And so I just looked at, we looked at a map and the furthest place away was more or less like New Zealand. I mean, it's like South Pacific is actually the furthest place away, but that was like the most normalist furthest place away. And so I said, screw it, I'm just gonna go there. Um, and so I went there and for Puerto Rico, just surfing for almost like half a year. And I bought a camera and learned how to take photographs. And my parents kind of hit me up and said, maybe you should think about college. And so I sent some stuff and I got into um, NYU Tisch for photography and, you know, decided then to go check out college. But I, I didn't think I would live in a city or work or do any of this type of nerdy computer-y stuff now. What are some of your best memories of grade school, high school, college? Um, I think grade school was just hanging out with friends, like playing Kill the Carrier at recess, you know, playing cops and robbers on bicycles, playing like ghost man kind of baseball after school, skateboarding, just all hours, you know, drinking two liter cans of soda, putting money together and going to McDonald's to buy like, you know, cheeseburgers and McChicken sandwiches, just I think just hanging with friends. I mean, I also like my mom would encourage me to read in ways that were curious. Like I would just read the encyclopedia, you know, we just open random pages and read about, you know, the library of Alexandria or, um, you know, the, the Amazon basin or just, you know, information in a cool kind of way. Um, I, I just loved, you know, sports and I loved learning and I didn't as much subscribe to the normal trying to get good grades in school or whatever. It was just, just learn for the sake of learning. And, I think college was a bit different. I, I, I was very frustrated a lot in college because I felt it was really expensive and I had to self-finance my way through it and the city was expensive and art school was expensive and college was expensive. I ended up more or less kind of dropping out my senior year because at that point I was just like, I'd rather make money than spend money. Um, but I did really like you know being in the city, meeting people, and then NYU Tisch had a, a digital darkroom for photography, and so I got to learn how to use um, computers and equipment. And I, I just that having the access to all this amount of equipment and software for free, I, I really think that like changed my life. That's incredible. And who's been the biggest influence in your life so far, and what lessons did that person teach you? Probably my friends. Um, I think they've been just like incredible support group i think we've always kind of been like the lost boys from peter pan a little bit so we've all just been like a very close group supporting each other there's not really a big brother or a mentor and there's not like a little brother or like someone tagging along i think it's just a group of individuals that have all kind of grown up together you know for better or worse and um i think that's definitely informed a lot about me i care a lot about like doing things with people you love and trying to, you know, make things familial, even if it's in a business setting and whatever your version of like loyalty and, um, you know, honor and being a man of your words or a man or woman of your words. I think those are just being a person of virtue and value, I think is really important to me. Um, 
So, you know, when I say something, I mean it. What's, uh, what did you write after college? Sorry, what? What did you write after college? So Oh, I was just working. I was just like, at that point, I was like, we had formed with my childhood friends, like a t-shirt skateboarding company called Lola, Lola Skateboards. um, And we were selling a good amount. We were in Japan. We had distribution. And we were, you know, nerdy celebrities at the time would wear our stuff. We were definitely like in that world of streetwear coming up. Um, But it was just, it was hard to sustain it with just like your group of friends. You know, it's like, okay, you're going to be the CMO, you're going to be a CFO. And people are like, yeah, but no. Um, <laughs> and so I started doing a lot more like photography, uh, graphic design, and I got a little bit into web design. And I just found that, that was, uh, there was a little bit of an opportunity. Um, everyone kind of needed websites, everyone needed branding, and everyone needed photo shoots. Um, so I was just doing a lot of that on my own. And I think I started finding people who were better at each of those areas than me. But because I knew a little bit of it and I had been entrepreneurial, I could go out and find work and then I could put together a team that could, you know, make these things uh, pretty good and pretty fast and pretty cheap. So in those early days, how did you go about learning all the stuff on your own? Just long nights, I guess. <laughs> like, you know, it's like it's like skills or time, like pick one. Um, and so I think I just put a lot of time into, you know, reading stuff online, being in forums, asking other people and just trying to soak up information. Um, you know, I think still to this day, like I love like learning by watching and learning by doing. Um, so the trial, trial and error as well as just like observing is still like a good, you know, just, just how you kind of learn anything. What were your first clients? Well, we, we work with a lot of artists and designers. Um, that's who I know knew from like downtown New York. And basically I said to them, um, Hey, you know, I, I can build you a really beautiful website. Um, do your logo branding, photograph any of your, your items, whether you're a photographer or a jewelry designer or an artist or a clothing designer. Um, and I'll give you a really good deal. Basically the catch is, I, I think you're really good at what you do. I think you're going to like keep doing better as you keep being introduced to, you know, a gallery or a clothing brand or a fashion house that hires you or wants to do a collaboration. Just please put a good word in and just pass it along. And that's literally like a referral kind of program that that ended up working. And so one of the first like legit accounts we got from that was was Stella McCartney um, and Adidas by Stella McCartney because uh, one of the photographers we'd done some work with got um, hired as an assistant on a big campaign. And then the next season got hired as the actual main photographer. And as it was happening, was on set. And they said, oh, you know, we were thinking about redoing all of our, you know, digital um, I wish there was like a cool shop in New York that could, you know, understand our vibe, but, you know, make it technologically cool. And the person was like, I know just the people. And, and that really kind of set us off. And so how do you go about finding the right people for your team? What do you, what are one or two things you typically look for? Um, I'm a big believer in like asking the universe. And I think that's like, you can take it as like a nerdy phrase, but I do think that like, you know, oh, we have six senses. I think we have so many more senses, um, you know, a sense of balance. Like I think there's, you know, and there's a lot of like pheromones and unsaid type like cool energies that we don't totally get, you know, and I think it's like any athlete or, you know, professionally motivated person will just tell you the power of positive thinking um, versus, you know, misery loves company, right? So I think is a lot of life you know, perception is reality, like what you perceive is your reality. And I think it's important when you're dealing with other people, not, they don't always see what you see, they don't always feel what you feel. 
Um, but if you're looking for something, I think it's important um, just to just to ask. What were your first real gin lane clients like? So Harry's is obviously a big client that we all know of now. What was the they first? They were all fashion brands. Yeah, like we gin lane was like 10, 11 years before we turned into pattern. Um, and the first five plus years was before startups really existed in New York. Um, and so Stell McCartney, Adidas, um, J. Crew, um, Helmet Lang, Theory, um, Michael Kors, which at the time, you know, was actually like doing cool work. And AOL, weirdly, um, supported a lot of creatives in New York City. Through AOL, AOL as well? AOL was wow. a big supporter. Um, basically, it was like fashion brands, AOL and General Electric or GE were like, they would support cool creative work online in the, you know, early 2000s into 2000 kind of teens. Um, and through AOL is how we got connected to Partners in Spade, which is now called Mythology. And those guys more or less connected us to, you know, uh, three brands, because it's all kind of happened at the same time that were either just starting or were about to start. And that was, you know, Warby Parker, Bonobos, and Everlane. Um, so prior to those guys in New York, they're, they're, the only startup really was um, Foursquare, which is at NYU and was called Dodgeball. There was no startup culture, really. So those guys and Thrive Capital, um, you know, kind of helped incubate that a little bit there, you know, UPenn type connections with the Wharton dudes um, for uh, the Warby guys. And then um, Bonobos, Stanford, and I don't know where Michael's from, but he actually is San Francisco based, but it all kind of congregated that same time in New York. And we were lucky enough to just kind of slide in and just, you know, learn and help out because we were thinking a lot about, you know, designing websites that were beautiful and mobile responsive and featured, you know, more interactive media elements and customer service and um, thinking about online and offline. So we were doing that with fashion brands at the time, but they weren't always listening to us about how to connect all these pieces. Um, so when we got connected with these guys, it was just, we were speaking the same language. Do you remember your first conversation with Andy Dunn or, um, you know, Neil Blumenthal, what were they like? What was your first impression and how did you... Uh... I think they, they were just smart and confident and saw, we were just coming at the, the same world from two different places. I, I had been in it for half a decade but hadn't wasn't able to see maybe the bigger picture of where it was all going from a business perspective. I just knew, I've always said I don't know, always know what I want. I just know what I don't want. And I knew working with these fashion brands where they needed to go. And I would always just be like, you guys need to move it this way. You need to make your, you know, in-store inventory or your, you know, CRM be speaking to your online, you know, division or team or black box software that you're paying a licensing fee uh, to some third-party company which owns all your data and information. And they came in and they saw, you know, being digitally native first, they could spin these things up, they could take a scientific method approach, they could get good feedback, they could test it, that they could build a big differentiation through better customer experience um, and better branding. Uh, and better user experience. They didn't need to overly invest in the product or brick and mortar or marketing. Um, and so being lean and scrappy and focusing on where the customer was going, you know, with iPhones and kind of the mobile internet really just starting to pick up, that was all stuff that we were doing already. So we just, I think, 
were speaking the same language. They were just coming from a business perspective, and we were coming from a creative perspective. And so what was uh, one of the toughest moments you had at, at Gin Lane? Oh, I mean, we almost went bankrupt two, three times, you know, it's self-financed, and we started right after the recession of 2008, and so a lot of the marketing campaigns we had, you know, just one quarter, they all just dried up, and we, we were doing actually um, a good amount of outdoor marketing as well at the time, but we moved more into um, digital because uh, we were working with artists to do their websites and what brands were paying us to do you know seamless seamless web we would do like just handing out flyers you know but all that stuff just really like dried up and so we had to move into digital because they'd be like oh instead of $150,000 budget for these you know five months we have $25,000 like what can you do and so digital was a big place we can the only thing that we could do um you know we moved when we moved into this office I took out you know, alone for the first time. And, but at the same time, we were doing a lot of work with Sweetgreen and, you know, Harry's and, um, and I just wanted to really double down on our startup work. So again, I kind of, um, well, this time I self said, um, I don't want to work with like the big brands that were paying us. So that was a lot of Adidas and Michael Kors, you know, I just want to do Nike. I just want to do startup work, but then we almost ran out of money. Um, and then, you know, transitioning from Gin Lane to Pattern at kind of the peak of Gin Lane when we'd figured it all out and everything was great has also been really challenging because it's a, it's a very different business model. What made you want to switch from, you know, having the fun of working with exciting new brands to, you know, why not? I guess the question is why not do both? Is it a matter of just, you know, it's best to we, keep we focused tried, on one yeah, thing? Yeah, we tried to do both. It, we just proved to be, um, we, we couldn't focus on both. Um, and so we realized we had to pick one and I think we felt that we had put a decade in and learned a lot and that just chapter, you know, we felt really confident about and wanted to open up a new chapter. Is there any particular moment where you kind of knew that, you know, doing both wasn't really going to work out? Um, we had tried to spin up a number of like, you know, SaaS products or building like little tech things initiatives. You know, we were very into like development when we were doing, we started doing a lot of installations with some of the fashion brands and consulting with some of the startups as they started expanding into brick and mortar. And then with Sweetgreen, we, you know, we're really a part of their like digital team and building that out and their roadmap for their apps and in-store stuff. And, you know, we saw a lot of patterns um, within the industries and, and saw some opportunities to build some tools and software but we couldn't, we needed the aid, the client work to support, um, you know, the money coming in, but we couldn't focus on the product side if we were still doing agency work. And so that's where we realized we need to figure out a way to pivot our team to only, you know, focusing on making our own products, which ended up becoming our own brands. Um, but it took a number of years to figure out how to transition that how to model that how to go out and raise money and convince people that we could go from running an agency to running consumer businesses so it was definitely like a slow and steady process while still running an agency the whole time what vc did you raise from for pattern um our first investor was kleiner perkins and then shortly after um primary in new york as well as um later rre there's a number of other you know, good strategics, um, Nextview, Homebrew, um, Equal, and then um, some of the um, people we've worked with from Smaller Red Club, Harry's, or um, 
from Thrive have put some small checks in. As an incredible visionary and a creative, how do you find the technical people to make these websites? Was it, you know, Craigslist or you? <laughs> Back in the day, everyone was through Craigslist, but it's like a different era. This is before any of the cool kind of sites or the community that exists now. But I think I have a good sense of humor <laughs> for like making fun of people in a positive way. And I'm not a technologist, but I know enough to like get myself in trouble. So I try to use that to not get myself in trouble, but to make jokes and make people feel um, accepted and part of, you know, teams or communities. So I think always been been surrounded by um, people that have a great technical acumen, uh, but making them feel just, you know, not either isolated or put on a pedestal, just part of the team. So let's do some rapid fire one line questions. If you had your own talk show, what would your first three guests be? <laughs> um... Joe Namath, um, Nas, um, I don't know, uh, Richard Branson. What's the best gift anyone's given you? Um, probably like, I think thoughtful gifts are always nice. So like a really nice pair of sneakers or shoes or my girlfriend has bought me some really nice clothing that looks good on me that I would never be able to <laughs> pick myself. I think nice gifts are like either ones that you want for yourself that you give to someone else or you know that someone needs but they wouldn't get for themselves. Hmm. If you had to eat one meal every day for the rest of your life, what would it be? Probably a good smoothie. Would you rather have a rewind button or a pause button on your life? Well, um, I mean, what would a pause do? So you would just keep doing, uh, well, I guess pause would be keep doing a pattern or rewind would be re-experience. I'm probably fast forward. Fast forward. (laughs) Futuristic, yeah. (laughs) If you had one extra hour of free time a day, how would you use it? Probably like trying to find some flow state through like exercise or activity. Would you rather be filthy rich and live 400 years ago or be middle class today? Hmm. Um... I mean, it's kind of hard knowing what we know now to want to live back then. <laughs> um, I think middle class is pretty rare right now. So I think if you're middle class, it's not that bad. Yeah, that's true. If you could live anywhere in the world for a year, where would it be? Like contemporary style right now? Yeah. Um, I think Japan's really cool. I think Berlin's really cool. What's the scariest thing you've ever done for fun? Uh, like surfing in waves that are probably a little bit bigger than I'm comfortable with. Well, any crazy stories in particular? Um, I mean, I've been out in you know big waves and some some like I went to um, Chile a few years ago, two years ago, and I, and I I forget this. It's like one of the biggest like left hand surf breaks. It's all like left hands on that the on the west coast of South America and and I paddled out and it was way colder than I thought and the waves were way bigger than I thought. My girlfriend and I and she she was like, Yo, I'm going in and I, I had like already paddled out a little bit too far to where I could just turn around and I was like, I'm going out and I like just scratched the surface and, and paddled out and I made it all the way out into lineup and I got out and I was like, These waves are too big for me to even get in and I legitimately got like whatever the 
non-extreme version of hypothermia is because I wow. I was out for so long and it was so cold and I couldn't. I finally just like I like I don't know. I just I got lucky, got a little one and held it like almost like a boogie <laughs> board and just and just bounced all the way like ten miles into shore. <laughs> I mean, was, I'm exaggerating, but it was yeah, it was definitely yeah, quite, like quite a bit. Well, Emmett, thank you so much for your time. Really appreciate you chatting with us here today. Yeah, thanks, guys.